And if you will, please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, we will read verses 1 through 3. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Amen. We'll be continuing our series through worship this morning. So far, we've covered the principle of worship and the posture of worship. And today we're going to consider the purpose of worship. We'll ask the question, why do we worship? What's the goal or the end or the aim of our worship? We've already covered how we should worship. We know that we must worship God only in the way that he has commanded. We don't add to or take from what he's told us to do in worship. So we don't have the freedom to invent new worship practices. We only do what God commands. And when we worship God in the way that he's commanded, we also, we've seen that we must sanctify the Lord in our hearts. We must worship him with a heart that fears God. We worship with reverence. We worship with awe. We worship with respect for who he is. We don't worship half-heartedly. We don't worship flippantly. We don't worship casually. Because we come before an almighty God in worship. And we must worship in a way that reflects the dignity of who God is. And so we've learned how we must worship God. But now we ask the question, why must we worship God? What's the purpose of worship? And it's really these two things that Nadab and Abihu failed to consider when they offered strange fire before the Lord. We just read that they were killed because they worshipped God in an improper way. What was their error? We know that they went beyond what God commanded them to do. But offering God false worship is often the result of a deeper problem of the heart. False worship is often the fruit of the problem, not the root of the problem. And so when Moses explains to Aaron why his children just died, remember, these are Aaron's sons, his children. He, he raised them. He loved them. 
And Moses, their uncle, now has to explain to his brother why God just consumed them with fire. And what does he say? He says, God must be sanctified by them that come near to him. And God must be glorified before all the people. Nadab and Abihu failed to do these two things. They didn't sanctify God in their hearts. They didn't approach God with fear in their hearts. They thought they could come as they pleased before God. They thought they could offer their own invention of of strange fire instead of offering what God commanded them to do. And therefore, they failed to demonstrate the glory of God before the people. They failed to show how worthy of honor and obedience God truly is. They didn't understand the how or the why of worship. And therefore, they were killed. And Aaron understood how sacred the worship of God is. And so when Moses said these things, what did he do? We read that he held his peace. He understood He understood that the God that they were serving is a holy God who must be sanctified in our hearts as we approach him. He understood that the God that they were serving is a holy God who must be glorified before all the people. And the God that they were serving is the same God that we serve today. We must sanctify the Lord in our hearts. We discussed that last time. And God must be glorified in our worship. We'll discuss that today. And so, we'll take as our text this morning, specifically these words from verse 3, where God says, Before all the people, I will be glorified. The purpose of worship is to glorify God. And so we'll consider what it means to glorify God in our worship this morning. And to help us understand this idea of glorifying God, I want to first consider what it means to worship. And I don't want to consider so much the the theological definition that we've given already. We've been saying that worship is making an approach unto the triune God. And that's true. But at a more basic level, to worship means to make an acknowledgement of one's worth. Worship in, in older English was pronounced worth-ship. It's to show forth one's worthiness. It contains the idea of of weightiness. It's like gold. To determine the value of gold, you, you place it on a scale, and depending on how much you have, you know how much it's worth. And so when we worship God, we put him on the scales, so to speak. 
And when we worship God as we ought to, with all of our hearts and all of our strength and all of our souls and all of our minds, we declare his worthiness to be infinite. There are no scales that can measure his greatness. And so we give him everything. All of our honor, all of our respect, all of our devotion and adoration. We worship him because of the fact that he is worthy of all that we have. To worship God is simply to give him the praise and the honor that he's due. To worship is to declare that because of who God is and because of all that he's done, he is worthy of our attention, of our obedience, of our love, of our hearts and souls and minds. God is worthy. And so the basic answer to our question, why do we worship? The basic answer is, Because God is worthy. But to dig a little deeper, we should also ask, why is he worthy? And we can really give a twofold answer. First, God is worthy of our worship because of who he is. Secondly, God is worthy of our worship because of what he's done. These two things shouldn't be separated, but they should be distinguished. What what happens when we don't distinguish who God is from what he's done? Well, you'll become like the hearers of the word that received the seed into stony ground. Matthew chapter 13, he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word and with joy receives it. Yet he hath no root in himself, and he endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises, he is offended, and he forsakes Christ. If you fail to distinguish between who God is and what he's done, you might receive the word with joy. You'll take Christ for for all of his benefits, and you'll use him so long as he provides some kind of blessing to you. Maybe you used him to to fix your marriage or to help you out of of, of addiction or in hopes of, of getting some kind of financial blessing. But what happens when tribulations, and persecutions come? What happens when those blessings stop? You leave. Because your devotion to God was tied to the blessings that you received. It's not that we don't love and and desire blessings from God. It's not that we don't love the benefits of Christ. But his worthiness to be worshipped isn't tied to what we receive from him. He is worthy simply because of who he 
is. His being alone makes him worthy of all the praise and all the honor and all the respect from every creature. He deserves our worship for who he is. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. He is worthy in and of himself. The Westminster Confession, in summarizing the teaching of Scripture, says that God is infinite in being and perfection. God is infinitely perfect in all things. But perfection isn't simply something that God has. It's not like there's a being of God out there that has acquired the quality of perfection. No, that would make God dependent on something outside of himself for him to be who he is. No, perfection is something that God simply is. He's the very definition of what it means to be perfect. He's perfect in goodness, perfect in holiness, perfect in truth. We don't have time to consider all the attributes of God today, but I encourage you to study them. If you desire to worship God more deeply and to love him more truly, then study him, learn of him, read of him. How has God savingly revealed himself to us? It's not in our hearts. If we let our hearts guide us and form us into what we love without giving our hearts direction, we'll end up in all kinds of idolatry. We don't follow our hearts apart from the use of our heads. God has revealed himself to us in his word. And so if we want to love God, we must first know who he is. Our hearts are deceitful. They need direction. And God has given us direction in his word. We guide what our hearts ought to love by the renewal of our minds. We guide our hearts by our heads. And as a side note, you may have heard that rules and love are almost contradictory. Like it's either you are governed by rules or you are governed by love. But rules aren't a bad thing. God gives us rules out of love. Rules give direction to our love. They keep our hearts in line. I love what Sinclair Ferguson writes in The Whole Christ, which is a great book if you haven't read it. He says, Commandments are the railroad tracks on which the life empowered by the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit runs. Love empowers the engine. Law guides the direction. They are mutually interdependent, so they depend on one another. 
He says the notion that love can operate apart from law is a figment of the imagination. It's not only bad theology, it's bad psychology. The word of God keeps our hearts loving properly. Our heads shouldn't follow our hearts. Our hearts should follow our heads. Our understanding guides our hearts and determines the direction of our hearts. But then our our hearts motivate us to press on. It's because we love Christ and our hearts treasure him as worthy that we continue in the faith. The Bible talks about our pursuit of Christ in ways that we could never accomplish without a true love for Christ, without knowing how, how worthy he is of our labor. The Bible tells us to, to strive, to agonize, to diligently pursue, to fight, to endure. And these are things that we do out of love for God. But we must know who he is. And we must know his worth. And so we must learn of God. We must study his word. And I'm not talking about a cold, stoic kind of study like you're studying for a biology exam. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the kind of study that led Paul to, to exclaim, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. When we learn of God, we are led to worship and praise him and, 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 and adore him. When we learn of God, our hearts are, are ignited to love him. That's the kind of learning that we ought to engage in. That's the kind of learning and knowledge of God that Peter says pertains to life and godliness. That's the kind of learning and knowledge of God that changes us from the inside out. God is worthy of the exercise both of your heart and of your mind. Could could you imagine the wife of a soldier who's been away at war? She finally receives a letter in the mail from him. And she gets that letter, and she says, I'm so glad I got this letter. And I love my husband. But I'm just not a reader. I'm not very good at reading. So I'm not going to read it. Would you say that she truly loves her husband? No. But then why do we think that God will accept that excuse from us? I'm so glad that we have the Bible, and I love Jesus Christ, but I'm just not a reader. It's too hard to understand it, so I'm not even going to try. Is God not worthy of at least your attempt to read and understand his word? Is God not worthy of you you trying to learn of him? Spend time in his word. Pray for for your mind and your your hearts to be enlightened. Pray for your heart to be stirred up by what you read. God is worthy 
God is worthy because of who he is, but also because of what he's done. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 continues. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. All of creation is meant to glorify God. Our children know this. One of our catechism questions asks, Why did God make you and all things? And the answer is, for his own glory. Calvin uses the illustration of a theater. All of creation, he says, serves as a theater to display the glory of God. Think about a theater. You have the stage set. You have the spotlight shining on the stage, and every, everyone's facing the stage. That's what creation is. It shines a spotlight on the glory of God. And so Calvin writes, Wherever you look, there is no part of the world, however small, that does not show at least some glimmer of beauty. It's impossible to gaze at the vast expanses of the universe without being overwhelmed by such tremendous beauty. The superb structure of the world acts as a sort of mirror in which we may see God who would otherwise be invisible. Have you ever stood at the top of Grandfather Mountain and you look out across the Appalachian Mountains? It just takes your breath away. It's displaying the glory of God. God has put his glory on display in creation. And all of creation shouts his glory. And all creatures are intended to join in his praises. What's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to declare the glory of God. Think about how many people need to hear about that today. You know the kind of godless teaching that our children are exposed to in public schools? Our children and our grandchildren are taught that they're just the product of a blind, purposeless process. Everything just happened by chance. And you have these so-called scientists saying things like, the universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And our DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. This is the universe that our public schools teach our children and grandchildren. This is what I was taught in school. And so should we be surprised that millennials and, and younger generation today 
are overcome by the sense of living without a purpose. They're overcome by the monotony of this life. It seems like you just wake up, go to work, go to bed, and do it all over again and again and again until you die. There's a video going around on the internet of a robot whose sole purpose of existence is to try to contain this oil that's spilling out of him. It needs this oil to function, but it keeps pouring out. And so all it does over and over again is to try to scrape this oil back towards itself so that it can, it can continue to operate. And people are sharing this across the internet because they feel like it's a picture of their lives. It's an endless pursuit of just trying to make it, just trying to make enough money to continue to exist with no purpose and no meaning, nothing. So it's no wonder that there's so much depression in the world today. And the academics and the scientists, they can't figure out that when you take God out of the world, you take away our purpose. And we need purpose to function. Otherwise, what's the point? Nihilism and atheism can't sustain humanity. We need purpose. And our purpose is to glorify God, to make his name known, to worship him. Paul writes, for of him, that's creation, and through him, that's him sustaining, and to him, that's purpose, are all things, to whom be the glory forever. We were created to declare his glory, to show how worthy he is, to acknowledge his worth in our worship. So just by the fact that you are a creature of God, you ought to worship him. You ought to use everything you have for the glory of the God who gave it to you. And if you don't, every aspect of creation used for your good in this life will bear witness against you on the day of judgment. The very air in your lungs will curse you, saying, I gave life to this person, and they used me to blaspheme against God. The food that you eat will say, I, used, I, I, I was used to sustain and to nourish this person, and they used me to continue on in their sins. This church building will say, I was the place of the preaching of God's word to this person, and they used me to harden their hearts against God. What a terrible thing it is to use the gifts of God 
to continue on in your rebellion against him. God ought to be worshipped for creation. And all of creation ought to be used for his glory. But if creation is a reason for worship, how much more is our recreation a reason for worship? How much more are Christians, those of us who've been purchased by the blood of Christ, how much greater is our obligation to worship God? Revelation continues in in chapter 5. It says, the elders fall down before Christ and say, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Christians have every reason to worship God. Not just because we're his creatures, which is more than enough reason to worship God. But because we've been purchased both body and soul, by the precious blood of Christ. This is the very purpose for which we've been saved, to worship God. If you recall, this is how we actually began our series on worship. We said that if you are in Christ, God has redeemed you so that you may worship him. Our salvation is not the ultimate purpose of the Christian religion. The ultimate purpose of Christianity is not about man. The purpose of Christianity is to worship God. And the purpose of worship is to glorify and to declare his glory to the world. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the bondage of sin that we may worship God. This was why the Israelites were redeemed from the bondage of Egypt. God said to Moses, Say unto Pharaoh, Let my people go, that they may serve me. That word serve implies a religious service. It's worship. It's the same word used in the second commandment. God redeemed the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt so that they would worship him. Likewise, God has redeemed us from the bondage of sin so that we would worship him. 1 Peter 2.9 Ye are chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did God look upon rebellious and sinful and depraved sinners and then send his only begotten son to be born in the flesh, to be born under the law, to undergo all the pains and miseries of this life, to bear the wrath of God and to die on a cross for their sins that they might be saved. 
Was it for our sake alone? No. It was so that we would show forth his praise. It was so that we would declare his glory to the world. In the day-to-day course of our lives? Yes. In all things. But especially in the worship of God. It's not that we wanted to be saved. No, we, we loved our sin. We loved our disobedience. We loved our blasphemy and our sexual immorality and our hatred of God. We loved it. But God wanted to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, Paul says. God wanted to put his glory on display in our redemption. And so what fools would we have to be to glory at all in our salvation? From beginning to the end, our salvation is of the Lord, and it's for his glory, not ours. Why did the Father choose us in Christ? Ephesians 1.6 For the praise of the glory of His grace. And why did the Son purchase us by His blood? Ephesians 1.12 For the praise of His glory. And why does the Spirit Seal us with the promise. Ephesians 1.14 For the praise of His glory. If you're a Christian, you've been redeemed to show forth the praises, to declare the glory of Him who called you out of darkness. You've been redeemed to glorify the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. In our worship, God says, I will be glorified. I will be praised. I will be counted as worthy. Worship is the most important thing that we can do in this life. It's the primary means of glorifying God. It's the greatest expression of our love and devotion to him. It's the clearest demonstration of his worthiness. That's why God is so adamant that we should worship him correctly. Why does God regulate his worship so particularly? Sure, he gives us rules and laws for for our day-to-day lives, but we're free to live within those boundaries. It's, It's not like when we gather for worship and we can only do the specific things that God commands. So why does God regulate his worship so closely? Because when we worship, We declare the glory of God with the greatest clarity. 
we openly acknowledge his worthiness in the clearest way possible. And we publicly proclaim his praise. Worship is designed to declare God's glory in a particular way. To worship God in a way that he hasn't authorized is to obscure his glory. That's what Nadab and Abihu didn't understand. And so one major takeaway from this series on worship is that worship is not ultimately about what you want. It's not about the songs you want to sing or the instruments you want to see and hear or the, or the theatrics that you want to happen in church. No. Worship is about God and his glory. And so the question at the end of our worship is not so much, how'd you like the preacher? Or did you like the service? Or even, did you learn anything? The question at the end of our worship should be, was God glorified? Was his name lifted up and exalted and magnified before the people? Because that's what worship is about. It's not about you, and it's not about me. God says, before all the people, I will be glorified. Our worship declares his glory to all the people. And so what a witness it is to the world to prioritize worship above anything else. It's the most important thing that you can do. Do you want to know how you can tell if your priorities are straight? Aside from perhaps sickness or some emergency, what would you skip worship for? What have you skipped worship for? What have you thought was so important that worship came second? There's nothing more important and worship. Prioritize worship above everything else. It's a beautiful witness to the world. And consider the Sabbath day, the day of worship. What a witness it would be to set aside one day a week for the purpose of worship. To be willing to give up the things that this world values most. Our recreations, our labors, our hobbies. What a witness it would be to give them up for one day so that we could, that we could focus our attention on God. The Sabbath proclaims the worthiness of God. It declares to the world that there's someone greater, someone more worthy, someone more glorious than all that this world has to offer. 
And so we'll give up our sports. We'll give up our entertainment. We'll give up whatever we need to in order to honor him. Because he is worthy. This is what we were made for. This is our chief end. To glorify God. To praise him. To adore him. To honor him above everything else. This is what we were made to do. This is why we were created. This is why we were redeemed. And so may God be glorified in our worship today. Amen.